Good afternoon and welcome to the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News. Uh, a little late in our start as we had extended coverage at the NHL Draft Deadline Day with Reed Wilkins, uh, Rob Brown and everybody else who joined in, Stoffer. Uh, Jalen Nice uh, off again today. That was expected, so don't worry. She will return on Wednesday when we have a... Uh, truncated version of the show i believe we is wednesday no wednesday we have a full version jay jill and i will be back for that uh kelsey wingarica stepped in studio as she often does when jay's away thanks for doing this again oh always a pleasure you say that was i don't know maybe it's just me and possibly our guests can sort of uh delve I, into that I there's always seems to be honest. well it seems like there's an understand uh, underscored sarcasm to it. i don't know why and maybe that's my problem I think it's your problem. I'm, I'm, just, I, I'm a pretty convincing person, I, I thought. <laughs> to everyone but me. Uh, that, I'll tell you later how that makes me feel. Dr. Uh, Gantz is in studio. Gantz Ferentz for his, uh, well, I don't know, is this your regular monthly segment? Because uh, isn't it supposed to be on Wednesdays? It's supposed to be on Wednesday, but we had some shifts we needed to make, so it's all good. Well, thank you for your understanding, patience, and uh, flexibility on that, because I think we bumped you at least once. <laughs> Didn't we? It's all, it's all good. Yeah, all I'm right. glad to be here. So I'm glad. And that answers the question, how does that make you feel? Pretty darn good. So what we're going to do is I do want to talk about the Oscars at some point a little bit this afternoon with you, Kelsey Wingarek, if you stick around long enough for that. Again, no sarcasm intended in that statement. I just don't. No, I just don't know what time you're leaving. Uh, but not about the winners and losers, but about the uh, the Academy's attempt to address diversity and Chris Rock's um, contribution. I, I think you're a little bit offside insane attempt because I think they certainly addressed diversity and racism in Hollywood. Well, they certainly, well, let's not get into it right now because we don't, we're here with Dr. Gantz. The topic this afternoon, of course, the segment, how does that make you feel? The topic this afternoon, uh, dealing with uh, the loss of a loved one, whether it be a spouse, a child, uh, somebody close to you, a friend, and it came up as these topics often do, uh, Gantz, uh, can I just call you Gantz? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, through another conversation last time. Mm -hmm. And actually, during the course of this conversation, I'm probably going to suggest another topic for next time. All good. All right, which would be uh, postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can talk important, about that. Another topic, good one, yeah. yeah. So let's, let's deal right with it. Uh, again, I always like to start by asking you what's normal and what's healthy. So sure. is it normal and healthy to grieve the loss of someone? It, uh, yes. Yeah, normal and healthy, and and, and important distinction. Uh, normal, basically, in my books, is what uh, the majority of people do, and healthy is what is optimal, what is good for us. Uh, but yes, we need to grieve. Uh, actually, grieving is a very, very important thing for our emotional health, but also our physical health. And any loss, you know, we talked about loss of a, a loved one or a friend, and, you know, we think about death, but anything, any loss, like, you know, uh, a breakup or somebody moving away or a change in a relationship or anything like that is really a loss because it's a loss of what we thought would happen in that instance, right? So whether it's a, a belief, a hope, a fantasy, that has to die in order for us to be able to move on. And that takes a process. We need to be able to feel our feelings around it. We need to have the time. And there's a process you go through. And then once that's done, then it's a lot easier to move forward and do something different. And is there a set time for that kind of thing? Is no, there, there a is normal not. time? No. Yeah, there's not a set time. Everybody's different and it depends on, you know, the severity of the loss. I mean, and, and 
and the, the severity of the loss to the individual experiencing the loss, not what we think it should be or how severe that is. You know, for some people, the loss of a pet is extremely, extremely traumatizing, mm-hmm. um, more so than uh, maybe even a loss of the parent, depending on the relationship with the parent. So we can't really judge from the outside what somebody else is going through and how long it should take. You know, I know you have some, uh, a personal uh, aspect to this that you want to get to, Kelsey, and I, and I want to hear it. But I'm curious about when you just said that, mm-hmm. as is often the case when you and I talk, light bulbs go off. <laughs> there's has to be, say it was a pet, mm-hmm. and say that you feel yourself grieving more for a pet than you did for the loss of your parent. Mm-hmm. There has to be an aspect of that grieving that's guilt, that you, you feel like what you're doing is not normal because you should feel more than you're feeling. So... I would think that not only is it a problem to grieve, but it's a problem perhaps not to grieve. Right. Well, I, I think, you know, the the main point I want to make about that is that it's really, really important to give yourself permission to feel how you feel, period. Whether it's a lot of grief for a pet or not a lot of grief for a parent, you feel how you feel because, you know, the the relationship with a pet can be very deep, but it also tends to be more simple, right? Mm-hmm. You know, pets tend to love us, right? Especially a dog or a cat. We don't have any kind of That's deep true. resentments or unconditional know, love, right? I yeah, no this issues. Is, this is this is what the pets are all about, right? They love you because you feed. Well, even if you don't feed them, sometimes they love you, <laughs> right? And they're they're always there. They're a source of of joy, a source of warmth, a source of unconditional love, as you said, Andrew. Whereas a parent, like you know, they also have to discipline us, and they have bad days, and they have good days, and you know, they might have their own baggage they got to deal with. So our relationship with the parent can be much, much more complex. And so it does. it's not that we may not miss that person or miss the thought of what that relationship could have been, but it's also complicated by these other feelings, maybe hurt, resentment, fear. Uh, a lot of other uh, uh, emotions may come into that whole experience. Hmm. I did just want to say on, on the pet note, mm-hmm. I had a friend tell me that he could not get himself, drag himself out of bed for a full week after his dog passed away. And he said, I lost my brother last year. And I mean, I, I felt sadness going to his funeral. But, you know, I looked at him and I, I always had to be supportive because he w- had sunk very quickly into a depression, losing mm-hmm. his best friend, um, that being his dog. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of thought, this is your brother. But you think about the connections you make with people, even a, a friend that maybe you have in the city of Edmonton and your family lives out in, in the East Coast, you're going to mourn the loss of this person who's in your in your life every single day right, exactly. as, as opposed to even your parents who spent their life and all of their money mm-hmm. investing Raising in you. you. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the other thing that happens too is w- w- one fact that people don't often talk about, there can be a bit of a cumulative effect uh, for this as well, right? So, you know, in that example, your friend lost his brother earlier in the year and had some grief reaction around that, but it was smaller. And then he lost his dog later on. Well, if the grief reaction earlier has not been completed or, mm-hmm. you know, there's other stuff the new loss brings up you know another layer of stuff around the brother as well even though we you know attribute it to the dog necessarily right right well and i think that is originally now that i think about it how this conversation came to be in the first place and just that i was pointing out that it wasn't until a remembrance day mm-hmm. that i started to grieve the loss of my father who's been gone for more than a decade and i don't know why i didn't do it before that but it mm-hmm. just was triggered by that event but i did want to ask you about preparing for loss uh, and and my personal story would be the death of my sister versus the death of my father obviously two individuals very I was very close to mm-hmm. I had no issues with the death of my sister in terms of feeling that there was un 
there, there was conversations we should have had that we didn't have. There, there was none of that. Um, with my father, and maybe that's why it took so long for me to finally react to it, is that there was a ton of issues not discussed. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it, it didn't feel healthy to me to, to grieve and feel guilt and all that kind of thing. So is there a way to prepare for a death? Yeah, I think so. There's been some interesting um, sort of gender differences around this too. Um, typically, in terms of a, a long, let's say someone who has a, a terminal illness, that tends to be more difficult for men to deal with, somebody with a terminal illness, than say a sudden death and vice versa for women. Women tend to have a much harder time with a sudden death than a you know, you know, prolonged um, uh, dying process. But I think there is, we definitely can prepare. You're never fully prepared um, in the sense that you will still feel grief. And that's, that's actually healthy. That's normal. So even if you're fully prepared, it doesn't mean you don't feel sad. It doesn't mean you don't feel a loss or, or anything like that. But as you had mentioned, making, you know, if you can, have those conversations if you can. And sometimes you can't have those conversations. I remember when my, my father passed away. Um, it was very, very difficult. We had a very strange relationship, particularly for the last year of his life. We didn't even actually talk for the last year of his life, and he was dying of cancer. And um, so he passed away, and what I, it took me hmm, probably about 10 years. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And uh, when when I finally was able to figure, you know, lots of therapy as well, obviously. But uh, what I actually did was one Christmas, uh, after Christmas festivities and stuff, I had my, my wife and my daughter. And what I'd done for the year previous to that, or a few months before that, I started writing him a letter. Because he was gone, I couldn't, I couldn't address stuff with him. But I started writing a letter to him explaining, you know, what I missed, what I learned, what hurt me, uh, you know, just kind of really expressing my feelings. So I figured, okay, I'll sit down after, you know, I write a couple pages. Well, three months later, it's like 36 pages, so it's really <laughs> pretty wow. intense. Is and, it an open letter? Are you still doing it? Well, no, it's, 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 it's done yeah. now. But uh, so what I did uh, after Christmas, we actually had, I planned to do a little ritual. And so I had a picture of him, and we had like a fireplace at that house we were living in, and I sat and I read the letter to the, the picture so because I needed to have some closure to this and I remember I cried and couldn't get through some of it and but I, I did I got through all of it and my you know I had my my wife and my young daughter there just as part of the support and also to witness this and then at the end I just burned the letter you know mm. and that was kind of a, a, a sense of ritual to help me get through and it really it really made a huge difference to me in terms of mine being able to let go and move on. And so, you know, we can actually do this ahead of time a little bit if there's time and there's space to think about, okay, well, you know what? This person's gonna go at some point here. So let me see what I can do if we can heal some things or discuss some things. And that's not always possible because they have to be willing to do that as well, right? But uh, well, we that's that. that's actually what I wanted to ask you, and it, it's become a tradition here that when we have a regular guest that I'm very comfortable with, that I throw them under the bus from time to time <laughs> with a question common. they weren't expecting. <laughs> but what about the other side of things? What if you're the person who's going to be uh, gone? If you're the person with the terminal illness, is there something that that person can do? to prepare the ones around them for what's about to happen? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the first thing is you have to prepare yourself, right? And this is, this is where I think um, a really strong sense of spirituality is important for a lot of people. And whether that's around a religion or around like science or around whatever, whatever it is that their belief system is, um, getting prepared yourself because once you're prepared, then you can help to prepare the loved ones around you and help them to let you go. Once you, once you can, if you can feel like you're ready, 
um, whenever that time comes, if you can help your family and your friends say, listen, this is how I see it. Um, you can see it however you want, but this is how I see it. And it's, I'm not afraid, or I, I am afraid, but I'm going anyway, right? Um, but it's okay. It's okay to let me go, and here's what I'd like for you. Here's what I, here's what I hope for you when I'm gone, and here's what I'd like, how you'd like, I would like you to think about me and think about this whole process and the kind of life I'd like you to have. And that can be a very lovely and a very thoughtful, loving gesture to make for your, you know, usually kids or family mm-hmm. members, wife, spouse, whoever, that, um, you know, it's okay. You can let me go, and I want you to be happy. Nice. Uh, let's take the break, and then I'll let you talk. Okay. How's that, Kelsey? <laughs> I apologize. It's just, once again, whenever you're in, Gans, I just get wrapped up in the conversation. Yeah. I, I apologize to, to you, Kelsey. Uh, let's take the break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Andrew, for some reason, handed the reins over to me. <laughs> Um, I I have Dr. Gans in studio for How Does That Make You Feel? And we were talking about if you are that terminally ill person, um, how you explain to your loved ones what you're going through and that, you know, life may be coming to an end. And I just keep thinking how unfair that is. And I didn't come to that those terms until I spoke with a bunch of people who are either going through cancer treatments or who have come through the other end and mm-hmm. are now cancer free. But they said the hardest part about dealing with an illness like that is consoling everybody mm-hmm. else in your life. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this is the thing. I mean, a lot of times when you're going through that yourself, I mean, it is nice if you can make peace with it yourself and you know if you can do that for your family but i think it's also important to ask for what you need you know you can say listen i i I want to let you go and know that it's going to be okay but at the same time i need some support too and here's what you can do for me and you know and again it's kind of unfair to have the person who's ill to manage and quarterback this themselves but you know this is why i'm I'm so grateful for this opportunity to sit uh, on the radio and talk and have these conversations with you guys and all the listeners out there because hopefully that will help people to understand okay well there's here's what i can do to help support my relative or my friend or whoever that's going through this hard time I can bring some different energy to this. I can deal with my grief somewhere else or some other way so that when I'm with them, I can bring some joy. I can bring some happiness. I can bring some humor maybe. Um, you know, just being with somebody who's sick and who's ill really does help to lift their spirits and actually can help lift your spirits and help you with that whole grieving process once you're there because now you have all these really cool memories you have of these uh, these times you have together, even from the last days of the person's life. Is, is it? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think you touched on it, but like the flip side of when you're saying, I, if I'm the one with cancer, I'm saying, listen, you can't come in here and sob every time I get chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. The whole point of this conversation is we're talking about everyone grieves differently. Right. And if you are someone who is constantly overcome with emotion, mm-hmm. it's hard for you to come in and start cracking jokes. No, no, I get you. I <laughs> yeah. get you. Yeah. And you don't have to, like, you need to be authentic with yourself. Right. Um, but, you know, do think about what you might be bringing and what the other person might need and, you know, maybe have that conversation. I mean, the, the bottom line is the more open and honest we are with each other in general all the time, mm-hmm. the better everything runs. So um, if if the person is having a difficult time, you can say, you know what, I'm having a really, really difficult time coming here and seeing you because it's it's hard for me to watch you suffer. It's okay. It's okay to t- tell the truth about how you feel because at least it's out there. I, I think, um, and maybe this is even a little bit of our cultural stuff as Canadians, that we tend to want to be super polite and really supportive and not stir the pot. And so there's a lot of stuff in our culture that goes unsaid that would be much easier to deal with if we just had the open, honest deliberate and specific conversation. You know, that's specifically what I wanted to ask you because 
I, I've you, had. You do realize you've said that every time, right? I, I know, but Gantz is just such a great guest <laughs> well, because you. it always just hits home, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure not just with you and I. I'm sure with everyone listening too. I've had people in my life that I was close to that I knew I was going to lose, mm-hmm. and I've always wanted to ask them straight up, "How do you feel?" Mm-hmm. You know, what what are you thinking right now? Do you feel cheated? Do you feel angry? And I've never had the guts to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, except with my sister. And that's the one close loss where, as I said, I don't have any issues left. Right. I asked her, she answered, I listened, and, and it helped us both. Well, you know, and it's not, it's not even just the specifics of what the conversation was. It's the fact that you dug deeper and had a deeper conversation. You're connecting with that person. When we have these explicit conversations around stuff, it's an act of intimacy. Intimacy in my books is the willingness and the, the, the openness to be seen. And when you ask a question, you're letting yourself be seen. When you answer a question like that, you're letting the other person be seen. And so you're getting really, really deep with somebody. And it doesn't even matter what the specifics of the conversation are. But in that, you know, in that instance, I think it is appropriate to ask permission. Hey, listen, I really would like to have a deeper conversation with you. Are you okay? Are you up for that? Right. Mm-hmm. And once you ask permission, then yeah, absolutely. Those, those kinds of questions are really important because you know what? Sometimes the person just wants to share, wants to talk, but they but no one they don't know if the other person is ready to listen right. or they can hear or you know they don't know. So by asking that really clear and specific question, yeah, this is how I feel. Thank you for asking. You know, or, or if somebody's dealing with a dis- disability or whatever, what's it like for you? I don't, I, I just want to understand because what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand who they are, what they're experiencing, what they're going through. And you're sharing with them how you're seeing it as well. So it's, it's a much deeper connection. Over on our texting page, this question, my wife hasn't visited her grandma's grave since she passed 14 years ago. Whenever I ask her why she hasn't gone back, she says it's just too hard. Is it good for her to visit her grave more? She was very close with her, so I'm not sure why she doesn't go. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's it's a really personal thing. I mean, everybody has a different way of grieving and a different way of dealing with stuff. Um, I do really like my um, my story about the, the reading the letter to my dad. Ritual is very important. And for me, I needed that ritual. I, I, I When he passed, there was a lot of other stuff going on. Like I said, our relationship was really strained. There was a lot of organization and like housekeeping things I had to take care of around his death. And I didn't really get a chance to fully do the ritual for myself. Uh, for this listener's um, wife, if she, I, I think it would be very healing for her to have some ritual or some sense of closure. It may be visiting the grave or it may be donating something in her grandmother's memory or just, you know, sitting and having a conversation about all the good times she had as a little kid with her grandmother. So everybody, everybody does things in a different way. So it's not for us or somebody outside of us to tell us how to grieve or what to do. So, you know, being the supportive husband, he's trying to help help his wife do what he thinks is best, but, you know, it really would uh, would be up to her in terms of what, you know, when and how she wants to have that ritual, have that closure. Good answer. We'll take a quick break for news when we come back more with Dr. Gantz. Well, welcome back to the program. Uh, Kelsey Wingarrick in for Jay Lynn Nye. I'm Andrew Gross. We've been sitting and talking about grief with uh, Dr. Gantz on our monthly segment of How Does That Make You Feel? And uh, again, Kelsey, I'll let you uh, get this uh, part of the conversation going. You said you had a story, and I want to hear it. 
Yeah, well, b- before we you came in here, you kind of mm-hmm. sent us an idea of, of the steps of the proper way to mourn and to grieve. And uh, I've, I realized that I was kept shoving thoughts away, mm-hmm. and I've been doing so for many years. And it, I, I just thought this would be a really nice opportunity to let people know that they're not alone because I'm mm-hmm. going to admit something that I haven't. Um, my boyfriend many years ago, now an ex, his 16-year-old brother passed away mm-hmm. from cancer, and I was a part of that with him. Um, but I had never experienced anything, especially with somebody so young. And uh, so on the day of his brother's funeral, we we tried to have some fun. His friends planned this beach volleyball game. And so after the funeral and after we had lunch, we went and we were playing beach volleyball. And I somehow completely forgot or pushed out of my mind that it was the day of the funeral. And I was just looking at him and I was frustrated that he wasn't giving me any attention. Like he was mm. actually really trying to have fun. And I didn't think he was playing volleyball as well as I thought he could. And I ended up pulling him aside and saying, I think we need to take a break. Mm. And mm. and he looked at me and he's just like, can we do this on a different day? And I'm like, I, right now feels like a good time to me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just buried my brother. Mm-hmm. and. It, it still didn't even click. Like somehow I had literally turned a switch off that I was there, like I was there holding his hand, watching the coffin being lowered, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I thought that was a perfect day to break up with him. And yeah. I, and I mean, I loved him very much. And like it was, it didn't, you know, it wasn't, it was just very odd. And I had another friend share with me that her father passed away. And on the day of her father's funeral, her boyfriend went out and cheated on her. And I looked at her and just thought, well, you got to get rid of him. And, and she said, no, he came to me and told me right away. And he was in shock. Like, he didn't know why he did it. And he just said, I've never had to deal with a loss, and I had mm-hmm. no idea how to support you. And yeah. I just thought that was outrageous. And it was so easy for me to judge him when I basically did the same thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is It is really, really hard to to know how to handle that, especially when it's you're you're sort of once removed and you want to be there to help the person uh but you don't know how especially if you haven't dealt with that yourself so so, you know it's really really brave of you to share that with us all and and thank you for for sharing that um but it shows the importance of being able to express your feelings or knowing that your feelings are okay whatever they are And, and and even saying like i i don't even know how to do this how can i help you how do i what what do you need from me right um it does take us especially because we're the the person on the the side it takes a bit of clarity on our part to be able to know okay well what 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 could they possibly need and a lot of times and i've done similar stuff where you know i try to help and i make the biggest mess because i'm thinking oh well i'm going to do this for the person or that for the person without actually asking what they need and i end up making the situation much worse for them so you know we all deal with loss and grief and especially the once removed loss and grief in very different ways and shock definitely sounds very clear that that was a state of shock for you and also for your friend's boyfriend right and it's like i don't know how to do this and so we go out and we do things, not not mean spiritedly, but um, that may be felt as um, you know inconsiderate or thoughtless. But when it's not meant in that way. No, and I mean it's been five, six years now, and I still think about it all the time. Like I've I've tried to reach out. I just want to give him a sincere apology, and mm-hmm. I know it won't change anything. And like the incredible loss that he's had to experience and he oh he obviously has you know we've moved apart and i'm Mm -hmm. i'm engaged now with it someone else so i I think he's just i just i'm keep seeking Mm -hmm. that closure and i don't know like i just keep looking back on that day thinking it was so cruel and mean and that's not where my head was Mm -hmm. at at all 
And, and, I, and I do think that, you know, I, I do think it would change something if you ever had an opportunity to actually apologize to him. Because there is something about having people validate our feelings, even if we can't, even obviously we can't go on a time machine, go back and change anything, but we can change how that person now deals with it or feels it or sees that, that experience. Because, you know, at least there's some understanding about what you're going through and how you felt and, and just like the realization that, wow, I didn't even realize what I was doing. That must've hurt you so bad. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, it really does make a difference when we were actually able to uh, apologize and, and own that. You know, this is uh, obviously we wouldn't be having it if it wasn't. This is a really, really important conversation mm-hmm. because the depth to which damage can be done at these critical times mm-hmm. is immeasurable. Um, and, you know, I got divorced over this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and it wasn't the only reason that led to the divorce, but it was the match to the mm-hmm. to the dynamite. Um, when my first wife told me that her childhood friend had died in a car accident back in Nova Scotia. And my reaction was, well, he was a drunk. Uh, Mm. He was drinking Mm -hmm. and driving. And to this day, I don't condone, obviously, drinking and driving, Mm -hmm. but it it ended the relationship. Mm -hmm. And, but it was just, and it was only a few words and it probably would have ended anyways, but it certainly, it it sped the process up. We were done after Mm -hmm. that. and I don't want to say any more on it because, right. I, you know, lots mm-hmm. of family members listening, that kind of thing. But but that was a sudden death that I didn't anticipate. And I hadn't right. thought it through. And no, you weren't thinking in that moment. No, was I was reactionary. Not, yeah. Exactly. And nor had I lost anyone close to me to that right. point, really. So I didn't. So you really couldn't even understand what she might have been going through. Or, right. Yeah, exactly. Someone she had not spoken to in years. Right. I couldn't understand why. Right. Why she was exactly. feeling the way she is. And, and I think this really brings up the, the fact that we all really do grieve in different ways and we all have different ex- different reactions and sometimes i've heard people who are experiencing a loss say those types of things too or do these types of things that you described kelsey because they don't know what to do or how to do or you know like it hits them and they're in shock too so they can do some really kind of um seemingly insensitive or seemingly cruel things to themselves or to other family members because they're not sure how to manage their feelings themselves so you know we'll have to take a quick break here when we come back we'll talk about some of the tools you can use for dealing with uh, grief Welcome back to a Monday edition of the 6.30 Ched Afternoon News. We've been uh, sitting down, Kelsey Wigengarrick and myself, Winger, I should just call you, uh, with Dr. Gantz Ferentz from the Ferentz Group. Uh, before we get talking about concrete uh, strategies and solutions and, and ideas, uh, how do people get hold of you? Um, they can call my office, 780-428-LIFE or 428-5433, or they can go to drgans.com, uh, Dr. Spelt Out. Ah, there you go. So I said uh, before the break that we take a look at some concrete type strategies, but maybe I'll word the question a little more generally um, to start the conversation. When should someone go? When is it appropriate for someone to go see a psychologist or psychiatrist? When is when do you realize that grief is something you can't deal with on your own? And what can a what can a psychologist or psychiatrist do? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I I think what the research shows is that. 
loss is a normal part of life and I think it's important that we all recognize that that we're as we live we're going to lose stuff and people and relationships so usually people are able to move through this with good support systems around them and you know being able to talk with folks um, but sometimes it becomes a little more than that and it can lead to depression and anxiety or if it's really really prolonged or you're not able to function because in most cases you know people can take some, some time feel their feelings around this but they're able to manage they're able to do stuff and it, it tends to get better with time and with doing the right things but sometimes it does stick around a lot longer and you people become a little um, less functional so at that point it is really really important to talk to like a psychologist a psychiatrist or a registered clinical social worker that can really help you work through some of these feelings and also suggest strategies that will help you to get back to a functional state um, and you know the, the, the time to do this is sooner rather than later mm -hmm. um, don't wait till things are so bad that it's really difficult to function at all or get out of bed while you still have some energy left, it's really important to reach out and connect with somebody and make yeah, sure and, you get some help. Well, and that's it, right, Gans? Because we've said this uh, in your segment many, many times over the uh, over the years. Just saying it out loud sometimes is just enough to to get you through some of those rough times, knowing that you'll be there'll be no judgment associated. Absolutely. With it. Well, and and sometimes with when you're dealing with somebody who is not part of your family or not your friend group, you can actually be a little more honest because there may be some things you need to say or want to talk about that you may not feel comfortable sharing with your family or friends at that point, whether it's, you know, um, anger or frustration or uh, around a complicated relationship with a parent, for example, or whatever it is. Or, you know, sometimes um, when somebody's been dealing with somebody who's been chronically ill for a long time and they pass away, there can really be a sense of relief and it's like, oh, thank God, right? It's like, but it's not that you're happy the person's mm -hmm. gone, but you're happy that they don't have to suffer. But there also is that, that true sense that, okay, because I didn't know how much more of this I could handle. And that's also a normal, natural feeling for people to go through, but a lot of times they don't feel comfortable sharing that with family or friends, or it might seem insensitive as well. Right. Well, for a different perspective on this topic, I go to the phones now. We're joined by Darren. Hi, Darren. Hello. You're on with uh, Dr. Gans. Go ahead uh, Go ahead and Hi, tell uh, us what you want to tell uh, us. <clears throat> uh, last August, I was uh, diagnosed with terminal liver cancer. Hmm. And I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, definitely. And uh, about two months ago, they gave me Nine, nine months to live. And I'm living with my daughter. And and she's going through more rougher time than I am. Hmm. And I'm trying to help her. I'm I'm scared. But she's more scared, I think. Wondering if there's anything the doctor has to say. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's really sorry to hear what you have to go through, what you and your daughter have to go through. Um, I think honestly sharing how you feel with her being able to sit down and share your feelings with her and let her share your her feelings with you uh, it doesn't really change the feelings but at least you both have somebody you can go through the experience together with and right. that that in itself can be very supportive um, right. when we when we have a shared experience it really does bring us closer and can be very comforting to both of you. And I, and again, I think there's also, um, you know, support with a good mental health professional as well. If you're having trouble with other stuff, definitely reach out and talk to somebody as well. I mean, both of you can go together. Yeah, to really, I'm, go I'm, I'm in, uh, going to a specialist right now, mm -hmm. and they're helping me quite a bit. But I'm more worried about my daughter. Mm 
Mm-hmm. She's, she's getting worse than I am. Well, yeah, this is it. And I said, you know, it's, you know, this is what happens, you know, and and I I I I came to re, uh, deal with it, and I know what's going to happen. It's just letting her move on. Yeah, or trying to let you know. Yeah, and I I think letting her know how you've come to de- uh, come to deal with it and how you've come to accept how you're feeling can really help her to you know she's gonna have to find her own path through this but right. it can help give her an idea of you know how how she might be able to come to peace with this as well but I think um, letting her know what your hopes and dreams are for her moving forward after you're gone is also an important thing too so that she knows that she is free to still have a life and that in no way in no way um, cheapens your memory or cheapens her feeling about you, but actually living life so that she can honor you in that way. Right. Good stuff, Darren. Very brave of you to make the call. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Father. I listen to you all the time. I appreciate that, Darren. Thank you. Yeah, you know, and Darren raises another point, too, that it can be very difficult. Uh, It can be a tremendous load to bear to be the loved one of someone in that uh, situation. And I know that, um, and again, I speak from a place of experience with my sister. She died of lung cancer. Uh, It spread everywhere in the end. And she had been told by her uh, physician, pick one person and tell them everything. Mm -hmm. And she picked me. But that weight, that weight was hard to carry. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I think I probably could have used somebody to take a bit of that load off me as well. Absolutely. And when you talk about relief, I was, I was not, yes, I was, I was going to deny it. I was relieved when my sister passed mm-hmm. because that weight, I mean, she wasn't going to get better. Right. And that weight was overbearing. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, we often forget about the people who are either the caregivers, either family members or friends, or, or even people in you know the medical profession. But we also, the, the people who care, also need to be taken care of as well. Um, because it is, it is a heavy, heavy burden. And, you know, with, with the caller that we just spoke with, uh, it would be really great if his daughter can get some of that support, uh, either going to his specialist or, uh, that he's talking with himself or find someone for herself to be able to talk to as well. Because you're right, it, it's, uh, this, what we call vicarious traumatization, right? Mm. We, we, we go through the trauma, even though it's not us that's going through it. We go through it because we're witnessing somebody go through it themselves. And especially so the, the closer that relationship, the more deep that trauma gets in as well. I have a question for you about cutting back on emotional triggers or how to overcome them. I, we actually had a listener, she, she called me and let me know that her daughter had, had recently passed away and she couldn't listen to music anymore because every single song mm-hmm. somehow made her think of her daughter. So she just listens to talk radio because she feels like she has someone to talk to and she doesn't have to think of her daughter. Um, people have all kinds of different things that set them off. If it's pictures or if you mm-hmm. liked a certain flower or, or if your wife liked a certain flower and now she's gone. How, how do you eventually overcome them and see, like, remember those for, as something beautiful that's an, mm-hmm. a lovely reminder of the person you lost? Yeah, that's the thing. I, I don't think it's a good long-term strategy to try to avoid all these different triggers over time. Um, but I think at the short term, right after the loss, it is important or uh, it's reasonable anyway to take 
take some time to give yourself a little bit of a break because you need time to heal and get your feet under you as well. But I think if you can slowly start to maybe listen to a little bit, you know, in this case, a little, little bit of music or, um, you know, look at these flowers or whatever and understand that you're going to have some really intense emotions likely some tears and different things like that but that is actually part of the healthy grieving process that people need to go through to be able to um, go through this and feel these things and um, it can actually help you to stir up uh, the emotions so you can actually deal with it it was it was probably three to seven years no, it was about seven years after my grandmother died that I was able to cry for her um, I was her caregiver from the time I was probably like 12 and she raised me and I looked after her I you know used to give her her insulin shots because she was diabetic I I took care of her and she died well you know she was at home I was there I watched her die I called the ambulance all these other things but I also made all the arrangements for her and it I was I'd never cried never shed a tear never nothing and it's not like I didn't love her but I was so emotionally shut that there was nothing that I could do to express that and it was only after several years of therapy that I was able to, to even get to a place where I could cry at all, period. And um, one of the things that helped was actually writing about my feelings, but also listening to music or things that reminded her, me of her or having, you know, consciously seeking out these triggers to help me have those emotions because that was part of the healthy grieving process to be able to feel this and remember her and feel that loss and that's this is the problem we have a lot of us we don't want to feel the intense emotions we don't want to feel the loss and so we avoid it but then stuff gets stuck and we never get to move forward interesting you also sometimes push your own buttons on purpose after my sister died i phoned her number to hear mm -hmm. the answering machine message uh just wanted to hear her voice mm -hmm. and uh that went on for probably 60 days until someone thought to cancel the phone account mm -hmm. And it was on that day that when I phoned and the number was no longer in mm -hmm. service that it just mm -hmm. hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm -hmm. You know, but I mean, it hit me every time. I'd phone right. and go, there, my sister's gone. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I needed to keep phoning and, and hearing that voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, you I need it. to have that, that intense emotional as well. Yeah. At that time, yeah. As is always the case, uh, Dr. Gantz, we're, uh, we're out of time. And I apologize that we don't, we, can we just make this a whole day sometime? Because <laughs> I would love to open this up to phone calls, to yeah. text, to, you know, get people. I feel like we need liquor involved because we'd just <laughs> yeah. all be so sad. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> it, Not this topic. Yeah, this yeah. topic. Well, and the next one, too. We're going to have you back to talk about postpartum depression. I have a, a dog in that race, so uh, mm -hmm. obviously it's close to me, uh, to my heart. But I'm sure other people, and from our texting line, people are already asking when we can do that. So that's coming up later on March? Uh, yeah, last Wednesday in March if everything goes well. All right. <laughs> and winners don't trade anyone. Okay, we'll take a break for uh, the news. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit of Oscars if uh, Kelsey Wingarek's still here. Otherwise, I'll just go into a monologue.